everybody. Welcome back to Theater Schmooze, where we chat with Jewish theater makers from around the world about their art, Judaism, and vision for theater's future. I'm your host, Danielle Levsky. Today we're going to be talking with Jeremy Aluma, who is a director, producer, and the executive director of Alliance for Jewish Theater based in Los Angeles, California. Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Danielle. It's good to chat with you. It's good to chat with you, too. Since we both work for Alliance for Jewish Theater, I thought we could start off talking about that, as it only seems fitting. I love a good origin story, so I wanted to begin with you at the beginning. What was your journey to becoming the executive director of AJT? Well, I'm a director, and I've probably directed around 30 plays. I also am a theater producer, and... I'd say only a handful of those plays were Jewish in content. When I saw Indecent on Broadway, I had the uh, fortunate ability to be in New York at that time, and I was blown away. I I was weeping through the whole play and laughing too, and I was so moved. And, And one of the things that impressed me the most was that it felt like a ensemble built that show. It it just felt so natural, like a group of people together built it rather than a playwright wrote the play and then the director directed the play. It just felt like a a group project, which is the way I like to collaborate Mm. on theater the most. You know, I direct plays too, but (laughs) but I really like building them with a group of people. And so I was just blown away that at the highest level, here was this Jewish play that felt like it was built by an ensemble on Broadway and, and you know, doing fairly well. And I, and I just, you know, maybe I was naive. I don't know. I didn't expect that that could happen. So I w- happened to be pitching shows for my thesis production where I got my master's at DePaul, the theater school, DePaul University in Chicago. And we pitched six plays. They narrow it down to three plays. And then it goes through a lot of different pitching sessions. We did like four or five pitching sessions. And then it narrows down to three. And then they pick one. And so A Dybbuk by Onski, S. Onski, and adapted by Tony Kushner, was one of the six plays I pitched and was the play that the school ended up choosing. And I was really thrilled. And through that process, I you know, not only tapped deeper into my Jewish theater making roots and recognized the ritual connection. You know, I think I just love Mm. ritual and I think both theater and Judaism and religion in general, there's a lot of ritual and, you know, in in community, I, I, I really appreciated that. Anyways, when I was, when I was working on that play, I met David Shack, who was teaching at DePaul and continues to. He teaches a Holocaust theater class and he was like, wow, DePaul's doing this show. That's mm. amazing. And we kind of connected based off that. We didn't really know each other prior. And then David and I would meet once a week kind of just t- to shoot the shit and talk about different things as well as talk about Dybbuk and Jewish theater. And at the time, David was the executive director of Alliance for Jewish Theater. And AJT, one of the big things we do, as you know, is a yearly conference. And so the conference in 2018 was going to be in Philadelphia. And so David encouraged me to apply to be a theater macher, which is the program that we have for 18 to 36-year-old theater makers and trying to get them 
involved with AJT and engaged with AJT. So I applied to the Theatermacher program. I was accepted. I went to the conference in Philly. I, you know, was was impressed and engaged and excited to be there. And be, I think because David and I knew one another, and we were aiming to do the following year's conference in Chicago, which was where I was. AJT was like, we should have Jeremy join the board. And so it was it was a really nice introduction because here I was at this conference for the first time. And, you know, they were generous enough to say, hey, we we'd love you to join our board. So I did. And I joined and helped plan the Chicago conference, as did Danielle. And so <laughs> after that, I think when it was time to look for a new executive director, AJT by that point had gotten to know me. The leadership did, the membership did. And so when when AJT announced they were looking for a new executive director, I actually, I hesitated to throw my hat in the ring because I still felt like somewhat new to the organization, but David mm-hmm. encouraged me to mm-hmm. throw my hat in the ring and and I wrote a letter that I worked on about what I thought AJT represented, what I thought I could do to bring the organization forward. And the board accepted my application and brought me on to be the executive director. And so just over a year ago, January 1st, 2020, was my official start date as executive director of AJT. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of insight what was in that letter? <laughs> I would love to hear about oh, yeah. that journey from feeling, you know, feeling like, oh, I haven't been here this long. Should it be somebody else to composing a letter showing your commitment and showing your dedication to the organization? Yeah. You know, I talked a lot about my personal Jewish identity as an individual and recognizing mm-hmm. that being reflected across Jewish communities in general, as far as I could witness. I felt like I was doing a personal investigation into what did it mean to be Jewish? What did it mean to be a Jewish American? What did it mean to be an Iraqi Jew, a Mizrahi Jew, as they're now known? All of those investigations into personal understanding. And I was kind of witnessing it from Jewish people and in general. Uh, and you know it's been it's been something in the theater making community as well. I think there's been a long journey of recent to discover and uplift personal identity. And so I wrote about how that was especially pronounced, given witnessing Nazi flags at the Charlottesville rally. Mm, yeah. and that being a sort of tipping point <laughs> for me because. I'm in my mid-30s now, and I had never seen Nazi flags in public in America in a in in that way, in that manner. You know, like I obviously have seen Nazi yeah. symbols, but I I just I, I never witnessed them like in a march in our country. And so it was that 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 was shocking you know, regardless of the events and then, you know, hearing them say Jews will not replace us. Like it was all alarming. Yeah, I wasn't personally scared because 
I, I, I do in general have, have felt safe to be a Jewish person in this country, given that I know the history of our people, you know, contextually, like I think we are generally safe. And so I wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily scared that I would be attacked, but I, I recognized that it shifted things and it made me turn the other way and say, you know what? No, I'm going to be a proud Jew because I always have been. Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm going to claim it and exclaim it and, you know, s stand up for it. And so I immediately, like within a few weeks, changed my online bios to state outright, I am a Jewish American theater director. And prior to that, you know, I hadn't done that. It wasn't a huge change, you know, it was a small change, but it, in, it was a part of my personal discovery. So I wrote a lot about that, a lot about how I think people are turning to looking inside themselves and seeing, you know, questioning what does it mean to be blank? And that I was feeling a connection to that. And I felt like that was going on in our wider community and that I wanted to investigate that in community. I wanted to figure that out with other people and, and, you know, ask probing questions like we do in the theater in conversations surrounding how Jewishness ricochets off of all the different topics of today's world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've done a phenomenal job of that, especially in the past year. I mean, Talking about today's world, we're in the middle of an international pandemic. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, yet, despite that, you were able to head up so many different initiatives this past year for AJT. We had so much more online events and programming. We turned our in-person conference into a virtual extravaganza. We increased our membership. We have wider connections and partnerships with Jewish theater artists all over the world. So I feel like you have been taking those strides already to bridge all those gaps and connections of people seeking out different parts of their identity. I'd, I'd love to hear about some of your reflections and highlights for AJT in the past year, because like I already said, you've done a lot. Yeah. I mean, the conference, I think, is always going to stand out as a, a high point for the year, any year because it's such a large gathering of people. And, and even though we weren't physically gathering, you know, as, as we've talked about, it really did feel like we were in community and in relationship with a group of people. Uh, you know, a, a little over 200 attended the conference and people were pretty actively engaged throughout. So I would say that. I would say within that, I got to interview Rebecca Tashman, who directed the first production of Indecent, the one that I believe started off Broadway and then moved to Broadway. And I think she directed some subsequent productions, although other people have now directed the play. So she worked with Paula Vogel, the playwright, on that piece. And and it was an honor. I mean, I felt I felt very blessed to be able to speak with a director I, I very much admire about Jewish theater and Judaism. So yeah, that was that was definitely a personal highlight. I think the programming that we've done in regards to anti-racism, we've we've had three anti-racism training sessions led by Lindsay Newman, the community engagement director at Bahola Shon. Bahola Shon is an organization mm -hmm. for Jews of many different points of view and backgrounds. I think that was a highlight. I think the 
international connections we've been able to make has been very special. We had, I think it was seven Israeli playwrights and directors and artistic directors collect at the conference. And then we put together a panel with South and Central American Jewish theater makers, two wonderful women from Mexico, uh, someone from Uruguay and Panama and Costa Rica and Argentina. And then also at the conference, we had an international panel with someone from the Folksbina, the Yiddish theater in New York's, and this wonderful artist in London and an artistic director in Hungary and a Mexican theater artist. So all Jewish theater makers. And, And when I say Jewish theater maker, I mean people who make Jewish theater, not necessarily Jewish people, although of course we do have a lot of Jewish people in our midst. We also are very inclusive and and try to keep our arms wrapped around theater makers who are not Jewish, who are interested in Jewish content. And yeah, so so those are some of the highlights I would say over the past year. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so fantastic. It it feels like we are just jumping all over the world. And and I, and I really felt your excitement and your presence throughout the conference myself. And I think everybody did, especially at the end when you started crying. It was still <laughs> the sweetest thing I have ever seen at the end of like a, a big event. Um, <laughs> it was such a testament to the joy that you had for organizing and the joy you felt for bringing everybody together and the joy you felt for all the hard work that went into this and and the payoff being so incredibly wonderful and big. Thank so, you. Thank really you. Wonderful, wonderful job there. Thank you. The the tears too, you know, it came also from a place of course of joy and also that we couldn't hug one another. I mean, we couldn't even have a drink with one another afterwards. And so the goodbye felt oh. so different than a typical, you know, conference goodbye or show goodbye where, you know, you, you, you know, you'll see the people again and, and you, you are saying goodbye, but you know, it's not permanent. Like it felt a bit more permanent, even though it's not still, you know, just that, like you, you click end and then boom, everyone's gone. And, and so, you know, just speaking to how much I miss making theater, being in a room with people, talking with people, hanging out with people, all of that. Yeah, I, I completely understand you and, and resonate with that feeling. And I want to talk with you a little bit more about your experiences making theater with other folks after we take a little break with a message from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to Theater Schmooze from Alliance for Jewish Theater. I'm Jeremy Aluma, the Executive Director, and we have several events lined up for the next few weeks that we'd love for you to attend. On Wednesday, June 30th, at 2 p.m. Eastern, is our very first Macher Playwright Lab, a program that helps develop plays written by AJT members between 18 and 36 years old. And on Thursday, July 15th, at 8 p.m. Eastern, we are hosting a clown workshop led by Danielle Levski, our podcast host. To learn more about these programs, email me at jeremy at alljewishtheater.org and check out our website, alljewishtheater.org. Thank you and enjoy the rest of Theater Schmooze, Episode 4. 
All right, everybody. Welcome back to our interview with Jeremy Aluma. You have done so many different productions with Four Clowns, and and I'm particularly interested, of course, in the Four Clown productions that have Jewish themes. Can you tell us a little bit more about Abraham and Isaac and how you worked on that in Sao Paulo, Brazil? Absolutely, yeah. I I always loved the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible as a source of stories. My my father is Israeli. His parents were from Iraq, and he taught. He, he was he was you know leaned on the more religious end as far as Jewish people in America go. So I was raised a little more religious than not or not quite orthodox but a little more than conservative and so we were taught the bible like all the time every week and my dad would quiz us on it and ask questions and this and that but for him even as religious as he was he recognized the stories as that as stories morality tales to help guide humanity through challenges and and perilous times, not as religious doctrine that was necessarily 100% accurate. And Mm. so so I always admired that. I think it was my first taste of what it meant to be a storyteller because I learned these stories uh, from a young age. And and as you know, there's, there's not really an inherent good and evil I mean, to some degree, but every story in the Bible has its shape. You know, even King David mm-hmm. had struggled by putting Bathsheba's husband on the front lines of battle in order to be able to marry her later. Even of the people we greatly admire, there's challenging stories. And even of the people that we detest, so to speak, there are redeeming qualities. And I felt like as a child, I think mm-hmm. a lot of stories when I was growing up, now they're doing a better job. But when I was growing up, a lot of stories were just good and evil. You know, either you were good or you were evil. And and there was clear who was right and who was wrong. And I, you know, it just wasn't interesting to me to hear those kinds of stories. So, so I always, I always felt like, you know, the Bible was that. And then when I got involved in the theater and, you know, got got in touch with Shakespeare, I realized that Shakespeare was very much the same, you know, even Richard at the end of Richard the third is, you know, my horse, my horse, a kingdom for my horse. To me, that's a moment of, I feel for him. It's the only moment and it's the only line. And, and in Mm. great productions, I feel like you really feel for him in that line and that line only Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. <laughs> so, anyways, I felt like the Bible, the Old Testament, would always be a great source of of storytelling material. And so, actually, with my old company prior to Four Clowns, I started a company called Alive Theater, and I talked about doing Old Testament mm. stories with that company. And it just never came to fruition because, in part, because we were a small company and it felt like it needed to be done in an epic way. And so then. When I had four clowns, what one of our old alive theater members was like, "Have you ever considered doing the idea you had with the Old Testament with your clown troupe?" And I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, that could really work." And so I talked about it with David Bridell, who was the who started the clown school and was a mentor of mine, but by that point had written plays for four clowns that I directed. He had written a one-man show that I 
directed. And so we were already collaborating. And I talked to him about this idea of adapting Old Testament stories for a clown aesthetic. And we were excited about it. So then we just, we started getting in a room together, maybe once every other week with the company. Cause by, at that point it was probably like 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. And we'd gather, you know, with 10, 15, 20 people and we would try different stories from the Old Testament. And it was so delightful. It was hilarious. It was easy to make them clear with little text. And we just like loved it. It was so much fun to be irreverent with this text, but also attempt to, you know, hold it up too. And one of the correlations I find between Judaism and and theater is that we both love to decipher text. You know, Jews will discuss the meaning of a line of text and find seven different ways to interpret it. And so will theater makers. (laughs) I, I felt like we could honor the text within the Old Testament without using text, but, but, you know, honoring the idea of things and play with it in in a world of miracles. The clown is limitless. Like it's so much fun to play in that place. I remember we never got to tackle the Genesis story, but playing in the garden of Eden without pain, you know, having Adam and Eve play as clowns with no pain, because according to the Bible, pain didn't derive until after they ate the apple and got punished was so delightful. Like they just run around (laughs) hurting themselves, but not getting hurt, you know? And that was a really fun premise. So we knew it would be ripe with source material. And then we pitched for Clowns Old Testament projects to a variety of different programs. And we were lucky enough to get to put on three of those programs during my time with Four Clowns. And so we did Noah and Jonah at the Annenberg Beach Community House in Santa Monica, which was which was great and beautiful. And then we also did Abraham mm-hmm. and Isaac in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And that was incredible. I mean, to this day remains, you know, one of my top theatrical endeavors in, in my life. We we got a grant from the city of Los Angeles to take four of our clown artists. And go to Brazil, where David Bridell had already had a relationship with this institution called the Stanislavski Institute. And so it was a grant specifically for international collaborations of art and theater. And so we pitched this specific project for this grant, and we got it the first time we applied, which I was just blown away by. And so for three weeks, four of us went to Brazil. And, you know, the grant paid for our travel and our hotel and our expenses, and it paid us a stipend and all these different things. It was really wonderful. So David was the playwright. I was the director with David. We brought two actors. And then the Stanislavski Institute had a big group of people, and we had two of their actors and a bunch more people. We ended up teaching several clown workshops as well and doing other things with them, but Predominantly, the focus was on creating and performing this play, Abraham and Isaac, which we performed at a beautiful theater in a museum in Sao Paulo. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we built this play over the course of three weeks and then, and then presented a few performances of it at the museum. Wow. 
and and the Brazilians were, I mean, they're a very warm and inviting people, very generous. They they remind me of Midwesterners because everyone is willing to talk to you and wants to get to know you. And, you know, for the most part, we were able to communicate a with shopkeepers and people out and about, you know, little bits here and there in English. They speak Portuguese. I don't speak any. But then <laughs> yes. the actors didn't speak English a little bit. So one of the most beautiful things was that our four collaborators didn't speak Portuguese. Their two actors didn't speak much English. We had a translator, but the language of the play was unique to that project. And I think the, because of that language barrier, it ended up being a beautiful connection because we use very limited dialogue, which we do anyways, but this one was super limited. Mm -hmm. And we ended up only using a handful of words in Portuguese, but we developed a language of sounds and size and breath and expression that was universal across the language barrier. And, and that was, you know, one of the most uh, wow. special things. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound so special and, and speaks to the testament of clown transversing across barriers of language and countries and everything. So, so interesting for me. And I hope for the listeners too, to hear about your journey with four clowns, your journey going to Brazil, your journey exploring Judaism within theatrical text and within a clowning perspective, you're entire you're totally right that the connection there is super, super strong and really well poised for storytelling and theater making. Yeah. And you know, the story of Abraham and Isaac, I'll aim to be brief, but um the the story itself was one that pushed me away from Judaism as a young person because I never mm. understood why that choice that Abraham made was the right one. I never understood, which I think a lot of people struggle with that story. Why would God tell Abraham to sacrifice his only child? Yeah. Even, yes, God intended perhaps to, you know, remove that sacrifice at the end, but Abraham did not know that. And so I always struggled with the story and it pushed me away because I thought Abraham made the wrong choice. And I thought that you should never be willing to sacrifice your child for anything. And what was wonderful was that in the play, we got to investigate that. We got, you know, that was our opportunity to figure out, did Abraham make the right choice? And when we, what we discovered in the text was that Sarah basically died of a broken heart because of what happened. And Isaac mm. and Abraham never speak to one another again in the text. It's not something that's called out. It doesn't say, and Abraham and Isaac never spoke to one another again, but you don't see, you know, quoted text from either of them exchanged to one another. Right. So, so it was really one, you know, fascinating because that was part of the story we told. What were the repercussions of Abraham's familial relationships mm -hmm. after this sacrifice. And so, you know, we told yeah. we told both ends of that story, the the leading up to the sacrifice and then the ramifications afterwards. And it was so cathartic, you know, for me as an individual because 
you know, I mean, I don't think I found the answers necessarily, but I do think it helped me figure it out a, a little bit more. And in Brazil, it's a very, uh, they have a very rich Christian country in a great way that they know, you know, it felt like that community really understood the Bible too, and, and through a mm-hmm. Christian lens. And I felt like there was a relationship there that we could connect on because, you know, they're, they're in quote unquote, Abrahamic religion as well. And so, yeah, so that journey, you know, going back to that questioning of identity and Jewishness, that was really a big part of what that play was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish we had a whole other hour to discuss the story of Abraham and Isaac, because you're right there. It is rife for opportunity for exploration in theater. And especially in clown, the physical action of carrying your child to this high point in the entire way, thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Oh, Jeremy, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning into Theater Schmooze. A special thanks to Danny Debner and Lawrence Goodman, our producers, Ilya Levinson and Alex Kaufman, the composers of our theme music, Jeremy Aluma, who you heard today, and who is also the executive director of Alliance for Jewish Theater and the entire Alliance for Jewish Theater community. If you like what you've heard today, support this podcast and all our initiatives towards connecting Jewish theater makers by making a tax-deductible donation to Alliance for Jewish Theater at alljewishtheater.org or joining us as a member. Make sure to give us a review on iTunes and follow along Alliance for Jewish Theater on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages to learn more about upcoming Jewish theater events, group meetings, and news in our world. I'm Danielle Levsky, and I'll see you all next time. Shalom. Thank you.